you've heard the saying that, you know, that money doesn't grow on trees. Well, there is some research that has been done that is telling us now that even if it did, it wouldn't do us any good because we wouldn't know. There's some researchers from Western Washington University, and they wanted to study this idea or concept that's called inattentional blindness. And what inattentional blindness is, it is, it is for us, we, it says we miss objects. We don't see things that aren't related to the task at which we're focused at the moment. And so the idea is there's things that could be going on around you, things that are important to see, but you miss because it's not a part of what your brain is contextually thinking about at the time. And so here's how they did this research to, to study it a little more. They found a tree that was close to a path where lots of people be walking throughout the day that would also have a low-hanging branch, one that people would have to move out of the way from, and they attached money to it. They left money there, and then they sat back and watched as people went about their day to see how many would stop and notice. Now, they recorded 396 people during the day, so 400 people walked by the tree. Almost everyone saw the low-hanging branch. Twelve people didn't. <laughs> Twelve people got up close and personal to the tree branch. Everyone else at least saw it to move out of the way. But here's the interesting thing. More than half didn't see the money right in front of them, attached to the tree. They also said that people that were on their cell phone, 94% of them missed it, totally. Didn't, I mean, didn't see the money at all. And so that's the idea of this inattentional blindness. Cell phone, I'm focused on this, so I miss everything else that's going on around me. But even without the cell phone, more than half of the people that are walking notice the tree enough to move out of the way were so focused on something else, thinking about something else, looking at what the rest of their day held, thinking about the meeting they were heading to, whatever it was, that there was money right in front of them growing on a tree, and they missed it. And I wonder... If we ask, and I know not everybody in here grew up church. In fact, there's probably people that are they're visiting church for the first time. But people who have grown up in a church, and, and if I had come to you and said, hey, let's talk about spiritual disciplines. If you knew what that phrase meant, you may not. Uh, if I said, hey, let's talk about spiritual disciplines, let's list some. Almost everybody's top two would have been, oh, I need to read my Bible, I need to pray. Those are kind of, those are the easy ones, right? That, that's low-hanging fruit. We, we can grab that one. We know that the Bible's important. We know even people who aren't following Jesus, if we just went to Walmart right now and found somebody who's far from God, an atheist, and you said, hey, what do Christians do? Praying would probably come up pretty quick on their list of things. Reading the Bible would probably be right there. So we know that. We know that that's important. We know that getting into God's word, we know that talking to him is foundational to walking with him. But so many followers of Jesus miss that. We get it. We're not applying it. We're not doing it. And I think it's because we have inattentional blindness. I think we have so many things going on in our lives, cell phone to look at, meetings to attend, kids to take care of, kids to move from, from one event to the next event to the next event, to check on their homework, to cook dinner, that all of these other things are going on. And, and the Spirit of God is going, you know what? I'd like to have a conversation with you. That's prayer, talking with God. I'd like to have a conversation with you. Our Bible's sitting there, easily accessible, and we know this, but it's just, it, we're almost blind to it. And it's not because we're bad people. We're just busy people. And so as we talk about this series, hashtag basic, we want to take some of these things that maybe we even know and bring them back to the forefront and say, what, let's not just know them, let's do them. 
Let's get rid of the inattentional blindness to start getting into the Word and praying. Getting into the Bible, to me, seems like it would be harder for most people than praying. Because you open up your Bible and, and, and you know, somebody says, hey, well, what do I do? Do I read it like a traditional book and start in Genesis? That's, that's not a bad idea. And Genesis is full of great stories that start to un, unfold the character of God for us. And then we read Exodus and there's Moses and we read, and this is great. And then we hit this book called Leviticus. It's the third book. And that's when everybody taps out. Like, I, I don't understand. Cut pigeons in half. What? what? Uh, I, don't, I don't understand what all of this is. The pre-share, the fellowship offering, eating fat and blood forbidden. And we go, okay, this got weird really, really quick. We have devotional guides, though. That helps us so we can, we can get that. So I'm saying the Bible may be hard, but we've got tools. We can get a devotional guide that helps us understand Scripture. We could go buy a commentary from the Christian bookstore if we really wanted to get deep and see what people way smarter than us would say. We can do that. We have pastors and podcasts that can, that can help us understand the Scripture. So that seems like it'd be hard. We have tools, but prayer seems like it should be really easy. It seems like, I mean, we're just talking to God, but I think there's a lot of obstacles that keep us from that. Um, you know, I think one of those obstacles for us is uh, the, the, the way we pray. We, have, we, we pray kind of out of rote. We kind of say the same thing over and over again, and then it feels inauthentic. You, you've, you've done this. I've done this. We know people who do this, so don't point to them. It's, we're going to pray, intentionally pray, and we start, the, Father, thank you for what? This day? Is it just me? You know, that I may, okay, maybe there's a bad illustration. Everybody's looking at me like, ah. I mean, I mean, people go, hey, let's pray. And we just say, Father, thank you for this day. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like first gear for us to get us going. You know, we, we just say it because we've heard it and we're used to saying it. If we were really honest, we're not even really thankful for the day. We haven't even processed what the day has happened. You just got done yelling at your kids. It was a bad day at work. And then all of a sudden we get holding them. Father, thank you for this day. We didn't mean, it's just wrote. And, and so we start to say things that, that we haven't really thought through. We start to say things that we really don't mean. And then we feel inauthentic and it's this, this obstacle to prayer. And I, I love growing up. I mean, I grew up in a church. And so I used to listen to people pray and, and, and they pick up phrases. That it's, it's almost like we just say to say. And I'm not, I, I'm not trying to make past judgment on somebody's heart because sometimes we have a heart for something and we just, we say what comes naturally. But Tim Hawkins, the Christian comedian, he, he does this great bit, and he talks about people, and you probably heard this one, people who pray for a hedge of protection. Have you had, heard that? You know, Father, let's pray that you would put a hedge of protection around so-and-so. And Hawkins, the comedian, goes, you know, what's that about? What's a hedge protect anybody from? You know, he's like, pray for like a giant concrete wall. You know, Father, let's pray a hedge of protection, some bushes, just to surround this person in their time of danger and temptation, because the devil comes up and the devil's like, whoa, landscaping, that's my weakness. You know, I mean, that's not me, that's Hawkins. Hilarious, but he says that it's true, but we know what we mean, but we're just, I mean, we're in routine. The other one I used to hear all the time, and my first church I ever served at was a little small Baptist country church, and we had all kinds of things. And uh, every Sunday, if somebody was going, we, we were play, praying for traveling mercies. Right? Have you ever had that one? Father, we're praying for so-and-so. They'd have traveling mercies. I'm, I, I don't even know what that is. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's safety, but I don't talk like that. I don't, I don't sit there and go, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And somebody go, oh, we're, gonna, we're making a, a road trip. We're going to College Station to watch the Aggies. And I go, hey, man, traveling mercies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? We don't, 
But when we pray, all of a sudden, it's just like we, we feel like we don't know what to do. And so we, we get into this rote, we get into this routine, and then all of a sudden, it's like, it just seems fake. Because we don't talk to people that way, and we don't want to talk to God that way, and so we just feel uncomfortable. Or another obstacle, I don't know if this is you, obviously the rote routine is not you as much, uh, but for me, uh, it's, it's the wandering mind. You ever had that? You, you sit down, hey, I'm, I'm going to spend some time intentionally praying, and I've spent some time, a quiet time, I've done my devotional like we talked about last week, and now I'm going to start praying, and, and I go, Father, and, and you know, I you know, I say, you know, I might say something like, Father, you know, I, I just want to pray for Rick today because I know he's got that meeting. And I go, you know what? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text him real quick. Just let him know that I prayed for him. And I te- when I go to text Rick, I've got two other text messages and I see those and I'm like, oh yeah, I got that meeting today. At three. I need to make sure that's on my calendar. And I look at my calendar on my calendar. I see three things I have to do. I go, I need to get on those. And off I, I'm gone. And it's like later that night, I'm like, Hey, that prayer time lasted all of 12 seconds. You know, that intentional time with, with the Lord. That I was just going to get down on my knees and, and be a good Christian, you know, in my mind. But my mind wanders. It doesn't even have to be my, my phone. It's just I can start praying about things. And then like <coughs> three or four minutes later, I'm reflecting on like the Cowboys defense for 2014. And, are they, is it, and then all of a sudden like trying to like salvage that and like, God, I pray for their defense, you know, because I, I'm, I'm still praying and at somehow or another I got someplace else. And so we got this wandering mind. We've got this rote. We've got this routine. Um, prayer is difficult because somebody at some point, like maybe today in your small group, might ask for somebody to pray out loud. And because that's an obstacle to us as well, we don't, so we, we don't do it a lot. And so we don't want to pray out loud. And that, I mean, that's the quickest way to get people to lose eye contact with you. If you want to just go, hey, would somebody close, you know, close this out in prayer? Because everybody starts looking down, like looking around. Nobody wants to make eye contact with the person that asks because we, we're just not good at it. There's all of these obstacles there for us. And then there's that guy. That, let's be honest, it's not a guy. There's that woman. It's that grandmother. And she's a prayer warrior, right? You know of someone like that? And you're struggling with, I say the same thing every time. My mind wanders all the time. Man, somebody asks me to pray out loud, I start sweating at the palms, you know, and it's like, but my grandmother, every time we see her at Thanksgiving, we go, she's praying when we walk into her house. And she tells us, you know, about how, how she, for the last three hours, she's been praying for us. And we're like, I can't do that. And we got, again, I'm a 12-second prayer. She's a three-hour prayer. She loves Jesus so much more than I do. And so it becomes this obstacle because we start comparing ourselves to these great people. There was a French nobleman. He, um, his name was Marquis de Renty. And they tell the story of him. He, he'd read the book, Imitation of Christ, fell in love with Jesus, and he told one of his servants, I'm going, I'm going to pray. Come and get me in half an hour. So he goes into his chamber, gets down on his knees. Marquis de Renty starts praying, and at the half hour, the servant comes, and he looks through the, the window, and he's about to go interrupt his master's, hey, your half hour's been up, and the servant later said he looked, he looked so holy. He looked like he was so, so connected in prayer, eyes closed, mouth moving as he's talking to God, that he left him for three and a half hours, and at three and a half hours, the servant goes in, gets his master, says, sir, you've asked, you, you asked me to come get you. And, and, and Marquis de Renty stands up and says to the servant, a half hour goes by so fast, I feel like I need more time. Shut up, right? I mean, seriously? I mean, I, I mean who doesn't want to be that guy? I mean, I do. You know, and, and for me, I mean, 
let's just call it what it is. I could do it. I mean, who's going to come into my workplace in the church office, and if I'm praying, like, you need to get back to work? You know, I mean, I can do it. You know, because I can say something spiritual like, prayer is the work, my friend. You know, I mean, I have no excuse. You have excuses. I don't. But, but it's like we compare ourselves, and we're just like, man, I, it's supposed to be easy. It's talking to God. It's a conversation with him. But why do we struggle at it so much? I don't know. I think for some of us, for some of us, we have a natural connection to God that's different than prayer. And that doesn't mean we don't pray at all. Some of us, you're a Bible, you could read the Bible for an hour and you just love it and things pop out to you as you read it and, and people go, I don't understand it. And you look at them kind of like a calf in a new gate. Like, what, what do you mean you don't understand? And there's other people, there's somebody in here that's looking at me now and they're like, you're a sinner because I, I pray for three hours. You know, it's, it's natural to you and you're like, I should probably be teaching this lesson and you probably should. Uh, but that, that's your natural connection to God. There's some people whose natural connection is music and, and, and that form of worship. I and mean, they feel closest to God when they're singing or listening to music. Some people, their natural connection to God, they feel most worshipful when they're serving. And that doesn't mean that if you don't feel close to God when you're serving, that you have a free pass, you don't serve. Doesn't mean if the Bible's hard for you, don't read. That's not what we're saying. But there are things that are, are kind of natural in the way God created us. And so some people, are there, they're just prayer warriors. Some of you aren't. For those of us who aren't, we have to make it the spiritual discipline so that it becomes hashtag basic, so it becomes obvious, an obvious part of our life. Now, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 6. Not really a chapter that a lot of people go to when we're talking about prayer, but I want us to go to, and I want us to understand this. Prayer has got to be, for us, more than just a mealtime tradition, Okay? Prayer has to be more than just, hey, we say our prayers at bedtime. It's got to be more than we bow our head around the table. If, if our prayer life is centered around the offertory prayer at church, mealtime prayers, and maybe our nighttime prayers, it's not hashtag basic to us. Our prayer life has to be more. Some intentionality, it's also got to be something that becomes a, a routine part of our day. And I want us to read Ephesians chapter 6. A guy named Paul wrote a letter to a church in a city called Ephesus. Now, Paul had been a Pharisee. He had been a Jewish religious leader, a zealot. I mean, he, he, he loved the Jewish law so much that as this new branch of belief came up, these, these Christians, they weren't even called that at the time, these followers of Jesus, Paul was having them killed. Because it was an offense to God. I mean, Paul was, you know, pretty radical. And then he met Jesus on this road to Damascus. The risen Jesus, like, shows up, appears, knocks him off his donk. He has this, this, this life-turning experience. And Paul becomes the guy who starts traveling around the shores of the Mediterranean, planting churches and, and, and ministering to churches. And Ephesus had a church that he writes a letter to to minister to them. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says this. He talks about the armor of God. He says, finally, he's concluding his letter. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, because of that, because we're in this battle, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, 
with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So he's painting this picture that looks like a Roman soldier. And he's taking the Roman soldier outfit and he's applying spiritual principles to it so the people can think about, I'm putting these things on because I'm, I'm in a spiritual battle. And so he talks about the helmet of salvation and he talks about the shield of faith. And he talks about what we talked about last week. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He says, your Bible, which we said last week gives direction to our life. He says, your Bible's your weapon. It's like your sword in this, this whole Roman soldier motif. It's what is going to help you live victorious. That's, it gives you direction. It tells you how to get on the path to win. And he says, you take it and you use it and, and you defend your life by it. And then he says this. It's almost like he knew we were going to go in this order, these spiritual disciplines. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So he talks about all of these spiritual things, faith, salvation, taking the gospel, and then he kind of closes this picture of the soldier, and he says, you've got to pray with all kinds of prayers and supplication, the ESV says. You've got to pray with all kinds of prayers and supplication. And so he gives us some real tangible things we can grab onto. And I love, we'll talk about him saying, I love that he says supplication or requests. That type of prayer is what we're really good at praying for our needs and praying for our wants, right? I mean, if we struggled, if we didn't struggle with prayer, that would be a thing we didn't struggle with. We can sit down and go, God, here's what I need. Here's what I want. God, I need a raise. I need my kids to start acting better. You know, I, I need somebody to come up and volunteer just to mow my lawn. I got all kinds of things, God, that I need and I want. And we're good at that. We, we've got this list that we can line up to God. And, and, and Paul tells us that's okay, he says you ought to pray for needs. You ought to pray for supplication. But he also says before that, pray for all kinds of prayers. Does our prayer life, and I'm talking very practical to both of us, all of us, does our prayer life involve any time at all where we're just praising God for who he is? Does our prayer life involve any time where we're thanking God for what he's done? Those are two different things. I mean, you can spend a long time thanking God for the things he's done. I mean, if you would just take a few minutes just to think about your life, if nothing else, you can thank God that you live in, in a country that allows you to worship freely like this. You can thank God for a church that has given to give us a building like this. You can thank God for people in his church who have given so that in this building we have air conditioning. You can thank God for your kids and a list of things. That, I mean, you could go on and on and on. And then when you were done with that, you could spend an equal amount of time just praising God for who he is. Praising God that he defines love. Praising God that he's a God of justice. Praising God that while he's just, he's also 100% merciful. Praising God because he is holy. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things in our conversation with God that we can pray about. Thanks, praise, confession. I mean, that ought to be a part of our prayer life. I mean, you know this. Right? I hope you know this. You haven't pulled the veil over God's eyes. Every sin, everything you did, God knows. I mean, 
You're not going to go into a time of confession and go, God, hey, I, I, man, I had, I've been struggling with lust. I had that, that thought, and I want to confess that to you, and God's not going to go, okay, see, I thought so. I wasn't sure. I mean, I saw the way you looked at her, you know, and I thought, eh, probably, but hey, okay, yeah, okay, I'm glad, glad you told me. He knows. But just like a father and a child, there are things that your kids have done along the way that were wrong that you knew. And if, and I know this is a big if, if they came to you and confessed, which means agree with, if they came and agree with you and said, hey, mom, dad, I just feel like I need to say this. I did this and, and I know, I know that it was wrong. I know that that's not the way you guys want me to live. And I, I, I don't know if you knew that I did this, but it's, I wanted to confess it to you. Wouldn't that do something big for your relationship with your kids? Or even a spouse? In an argument with the spouse, and the spouse comes, I mean, you know you're arguing, you know you said some things that you wish you hadn't, and, and, and he or she did the same. And if your spouse comes to you and says, hey, I, I, I should have never said what I said. That was wrong. It was hurtful to you. I was, in a, I was being selfish. Uh, and I know that it was her, and I, I agree that, that I was out of line. That, that, that's a dynamic, game-changing moment in the marriage, especially that happens well, you don't want to have it on a regular basis. You want to fight that often. But, you know what I mean? But when you do, if, if that's how you reconcile, that, that's a sign of a healthy marriage. Confession in prayer, God already knows. We're saying, God, I know I blew it. I know that your word says this because I know that the Bible gives direction for my life. I learned that last week, and I've been getting into it, and, then, and boy, there it is. And, and God, I know you already know, but I just want to say I'm sorry. All kinds of prayers. And then he says this. He says, at all times. Well, that, that gets difficult now. He says, let me just go back and read it to you. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. He says, that ought, it's not just a mealtime tradition. It's not just at bedtime. We're supposed to be praying it in all occasions at all times. And that, that is, that's part of a, a spiritual growth pattern. When we move from a mealtime prayer being that's all that we do to a conversation with God throughout the day. And we've talked about this in here before. As I'm driving, when I'm at work, right before I talk to my kids, on the right, as I'm cooking dinner, or whatever, along the way, I'm having a conversation with God because he and I are in a relationship and we're talking about, the, talking about life. We're talking about the days. We're building this relationship. It happens at all times, in all occasions. And he also throws this little caveat on that. He says, and we're praying at all occasions in the spirit. He's giving us a lot of good stuff here. We pray in the spirit. That means that as we grow closer with God, we're connecting with him, his Holy Spirit, and we're praying for things he's interested in. We're praying for things that, that, that are on a bigger scale than the small things we tend to get caught up in. Does that mean God doesn't want us praying for our kids' grades or small? No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. But as we start to connect with the Spirit, we start praying in the Spirit, we start being attuned to the heart of God, and we start seeing the world differently. And we start praying for the things that God is very, very much concerned with. So he says we pray at all times. We pray in the Spirit. We pray with all kinds of prayers and even throws in there and supplication, you ask. And so he gives us all of these things saying that this is how we win this spiritual battle that we're in. Now, in reality, that's not news for anybody. Again, we, kind of, we said that already. You know prayer is important. So how do we do it? How do we start moving from a mealtime tradition prayer, and that's all we have, to this 
praying in all occasions in the Spirit. I want, you to, I want you to hear me say this, and I hope it's freeing to you. You are not going to go from where you are today spiritually to praying in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers tomorrow. So let's just take that weight off of our shoulders. This is a spiritual journey. We don't have a spiritual teleportation machine that can punch the button from where we are today and become the saint that God is creating us to be, calling us to be. We're not going to do that. And so there's this pressure sometimes as we talk about these disciplines of getting into the Word and praying. And what we're talking about this morning, what we're going to talk about on Wednesday night with teenagers as a family, we're talking baby steps. No one cares if you're at level two right now. I don't know what level two means. I just mean early on. But what I'm saying, no one cares if you're at level two right now. One, no one cares that you're there. And no one cares that you're not going to be at level 10 tomorrow. You know what we care about? If you're, if you're at level two today, that you're at level 2.1 tomorrow. That you're taking some steps, that you're, you're moving forward in this journey with Jesus. And so let's, let's talk about some real practical things. What are some things that you and I can do to help us become better at the spiritual discipline of prayer so that we can say it's hashtag basic, it's obvious to our life. Here's number one. If you're taking notes, write some things down. This, these would be some good things to reflect back on. Here's the first thing. Set some triggers in your life to remind you to pray. Get some things that along the way throughout your day are reminders to you, hey, conversation with God about that. Several years ago, I don't know if you're a Christian music fan, um, I met Randy Phillips from Phillips, Craig, and Dean. And we became, and we're not like good friends, we became acquaintances and friends. And uh, my wife, Amanda, loved Phillips, Craig, and Dean. So much so that years ago, 12 years ago, more than that, I, we were at a church in Austin and, and had a school connected with the church. And his youngest daughter at the time was in seventh grade. And I was in charge of seventh graders in the school getting from, into junior high, making that transition from elementary school to junior high. And so his daughter is Garland. I met Garland, and she was friends with some of our kids from uh, the church. But Randy was a, a co-pastor at another church in Austin that his father's a pastor at. And so they knew. She, I had told Garland before how much my wife, Amanda, loved Phillips Craig and Dean. And so Phillips Craig and Dean actually does this fundraiser concert for uh, the school that was connected to our church that his daughter was in. And a part of the fundraiser was... Each class sold different things, and whichever class sold the most during the intermission of the concert, they got to go meet Phillips, Craig, and Dean. And so this group of second graders sells the most stuff, and so the intermission comes, and they've invited the second graders into the back of this room in the church so they can meet Phillips, Craig, and Dean. And we're standing there like, talking, and Garland comes running up, the seventh grade girl, and she goes, hey, your wife like, loves Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Right? I'm like, yeah, she does. She's like, I'm going to take her back so she can meet him. And so Amanda's talking to somebody. I go, hey, Garland's going to take you back to meet him. And I mean, it's like... Somebody just, it was like you'd found that tree with money hanging on it, you know, and, you, and she's so excited. So we walked back with her, and, and she was so excited. It was one of the most, most embarrassing things in my life. There's this line of second graders. They're all like, like waist high, and in the middle of the line, not waiting till the end, she's got her way like right up into the middle. It's like my wife, a, a grown adult, like standing, and she's like standing with her CD, like to get it signed. And, and so we, we started, we built this relationship over time. My mentor, serves at his church. And so what I did along the way, because as I began to know him and realize that, hey, here's a guy who not only is pastoring a church, trying to reach the loss in Austin, he's also traveling the nation singing. And I just dawned on me, you know, as much as Satan wants pastors, he probably wants these guys also. 
And so I just made a commitment that when I'm driving, whenever a Phillips, Craig, and Dean song comes on the radio, that's a trigger, that's what we're talking about, to pray for Randy and to pray for Life Austin. And so when a song comes on the radio, as, I, as I'm listening, I pray. It's not, it's not a three-and-a-half-hour prayer. I pray quickly for him and, and his church. Traveling mercy, yes, hedges of protection around him. At camp, that, that, began, that came into my mind, and at camp several years ago, I met Jason Gray, who came and did worship for us. And Jason and I became, again, not friends. I mean, don't ask me to have him come sing for your, like, you know, children's wedding. We don't know each other that well. Um, but when his song comes on the radio, I'll send him a text. Say, hey, prayed for you, prayed for your ministry. So I have these triggers. And for me, music is a good one because I'm in the car a lot. I've got some mentees from the past that uh, have graduated and move on. That just in our conversations, I know that there's songs or there's bands that they've really connected with. And when one of those songs comes on the radio, it's a pray for that mentee. So it's just setting some triggers. It doesn't have to be music. It might be anytime I see this type of car, it reminds me of that. Anytime somebody starts talking about this sport, I'm going to pray for that person. When I see a rainbow, I'm going to pray for this. When I, you know, when I drive past a, a Tex-Mex restaurant, I'm praying for someone. I mean, it, you can set all kinds of triggers. It doesn't have to be driving. It could be at home. I know one lady that said um, her and her husband were having conflict over house cleaning. Um, she cleaned the house, and he did everything he could to unwork her job. And uh, one of the things that, that drove her nuts was he would never put his glasses away or cups away. He'd take a glass in the living room, watch TV, leave it there, and get up and leave. And leave. Some, some wives are like, mm-hmm, there's no one in this room. Um, and the wife said this. She said, it became this irritation for me. And she said, then the Holy Spirit just radically changed that. And, and I, what I began to do, instead of getting frustrated and taking the, the uh, glass away, when I'd pick up the glass, it was my chance, my trigger, to remember to pray for my husband. Not just that he'd be clean, to pray for him in, in all kinds of other ways. And she said, so it became a joy for me as a wife to take those glasses to the sink. And when it became an irritation, became the spiritual holy moment that was just between her and God. So set a trigger. That, that's a practical thing you can do. And what you'll start doing is you'll find yourself praying throughout the day in all occasions and you'll be taking baby steps to 2.1. So get a trigger. Here's the second thing I want to suggest that you do. Don't get caught up in legalism. Don't allow Satan to convince you that there's a certain amount of time, a certain place. I mean, that, that, let, let's just ask the question. Where is the place that you're supposed to pray? At what time of the day are you supposed to pray? For how long are you supposed to pray? I don't know the answer to that. The scripture hasn't, hasn't revealed that. I do know that Jesus took intentional times to go away and pray. And so I want to model that, praying as I go. But I also want to have some intentional moments where I just get everything out and I focus on my relationship with Jesus and talking with him. But how long and when, how often? Once a month, once a day, three times a day? Muslims do it three or five times, something like that. I mean, do I, you know, if they're doing it that long, should I do it that long? How? I don't know. And we get caught up kind of in this, this legalistic approach. I've got to do this, and, and usually it's set by ourselves or someone else that we've compared ourselves to. I've got to do this at this time for this long if I'm really going to see my relationship with God grow. That's not true. Don't get caught up in legalism. The point of prayer is to, is to draw close to God. It's to build this relationship with him. 
And if you can build relationship with them in five minutes, maybe you're advanced and you can do in five minutes what the other guy did in three and a half hours. I don't know, possibly. But it's not about how long, how much, it's about doing it. And you know what? Just do this. If you're concerned about time and how, just, just, just start. Start small, take baby step 2.1 and trust that the Spirit of God as you're spending time with him and growing closer, just trust that he's going to invite you in deeper and for longer periods of time. And trust that he's going to arrange your schedule so that you have time to pray like you and him want to. And just trust that for the future. But for today, pray what you can pray. Talk to God as you can talk to God. Spend more time with him today than you did yesterday. Go from baby step to level two to 2.1 with a baby step. But don't get caught up in the legalism that says, if I don't do this, that, or such, then I failed spiritually. Because that's the lie of the devil. Here's the third thing. Pray for the eternal. I love what Paul says. I'm going to go back. I want us to, to go back to verse 19 for a second. Well, at the end of verse 18, he says, be alert. Always pr- keep on praying for the, all the saints. That's just other believers. Look at verse 19. He says, pray also for me. We'll see this in a second. Paul's in prison. He's chained as he's writing this letter. If you and I were in prison and somebody said, hey, give me, give me your number one prayer request. I don't know about you. Mine would be to get me out of prison. I mean, that would be probably top of my list, right? You know, let's see my family. Paul says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul doesn't ask to get out of prison. Paul's prayer request is for things of eternity. Paul knows I can get out of prison. Prison or not prison, one day the, the hours of my life are going to come to a dead stop. At some point in the future, in prison or not, I'm going to meet Jesus face to face as I go to heaven. So that's not really, prison's not eternal for me. Prison is a temporary thing any way you look at it. Life in prison is still temporary. And Paul says, I want you to pray for things that are eternal. People's souls. There's people who are in this prison and there's guards that I have the opportunity to share the gospel with. Pray that I would do it fearlessly. Pray that I, that, that I would have the opportunity to connect and move with God into changing eternity. And that's the thing that, that it's probably the most disheartening thing when it comes to churches and it comes to prayer. We make prayer lists. And the prayer list is full of people who are sick. And the scripture tells us to pray for the sick. Not discounting that. But why is the flip side of that paper blank? Where are all the people who uh, aren't sick but are spiritually dead? I mean, the people that are sick on the front, most of them, we know them, they're church members, they're family members, most of them are saints. And if they don't get well physically on this earth, if that prayer doesn't happen, they're going to get well on the other side. In fact, I've used this quote before, and it's not mine, you know, a guy told me one time, he said, we, do, we spend more time praying people out of heaven than we do into heaven. We're praying that Aunt Bessie gets well and Jesus might be going, I'd rather her be with me. And she will too. And we turn that page over and there's people who are spiritually dead. There's people who are lost. There's people whose marriages are falling apart. There's people who have parenting issues. There's people who are struggling with, with, with all kinds of spiritual issues that matter. And we're not praying for them. 
And Paul would say, pray for things that are eternal. Pray for things that matter. Pray for your kids because one day they're going to be discipling your grandkids. Pray for their spiritual development. Pray for their walk with God. Pray for their lost friends. That your teenager would be an influence on them and their friends not an influence on your teenager. Triggers, things that make you think. Don't be a legalistic. And then let's start making this some lists of praying for eternity. So here's a real, a real easy takeaway. Before you leave today, you don't have to do it right now before you walk out of the room. In the back of your Bible, on your hand, in your cell phone, five names, write down five names of people that you don't know their spiritual condition. Just start praying for them. Start praying for them. I love the story. It came out of the University of Texas in 2008. There's a girl, and she, she was a, a Cambodian Buddhist. Her name was Putty Sok. And she was a student at the University of Texas. She was, later she said, I was Buddhist because my parents said I was Buddhist. And she got to college, she got in that environment, and she said, I actually became, through that uh, first year of college, I became an evangelical atheist. I mean, I became the atheist that wanted to tell everybody that there was no God. She said, the other thing I wanted, though, is I wanted to make a lot of friends, and, and I wanted to, to know people from all different, you know, backgrounds. And she said, I ended up developing several friends who were Christians. And she said, and they, I knew they would pray for me. She said, I even told them, stop praying for me. I'm a Buddhist. Stop praying for me. I don't want you praying for me. She said her sophomore year in college, she hit the wall. For whatever reason, she didn't go into detail, but life started spinning out of control. Things started going bad. She started really having some, some deep spiritual questions and, some, and started thinking through faith and thinking through what it meant to be Buddhist and, and God and what does that look like. And she was meeting some friends at the, the, the Baptist Student Ministry Building at, at the University of Texas. And for whatever reason, while she was there waiting for him, she opens a door, I guess looking for him, she doesn't say, and, and walks into a closet that's there in the, in the building. And there's a table in the closet with a bowl with strips of paper on it. And a little thing that's talking about praying for people. You write someone's name down and you pray for them and you put it in the bowl. And she said, I don't know what compelled me to do it. She didn't at the time. She said, I reached in and pulled up a sheet of paper and I saw my name on several sheets of those paper. And she said it was through that, through that part, journey in her life where she was seeking things out and realizing that these friends who she had been antagonistic towards, who'd said, there's no God, we can be friends, but stop praying for me, I don't believe in God, like to argue, like to debate, that they were continuing to pray for her and love her because they understood that praying for things that were eternal matters. She gave her life to Jesus and began studying to go into the ministry. Those things happen every day in the lives of people who pray for the eternal. It's got to be more than just a mealtime tradition. I'll close with this. If you go back to 1982 years ago, Billy Graham in his prime scheduled to do an interview with the Today Show, national television. And as he's there and his people are there, his people are talking to Today Show people. And the Today Show people said, hey, we've got this room set aside that if Reverend Graham would like to go to and pray and, you know, get ready to go on national TV, you know, it's right over here. And one of his, you know, guys that goes with him said, oh, we, you know, we, don't, we don't need the room. That's okay. You can use it for somebody else. 
And the, the people that work for the Today Show were kind of perplexed because they're thinking, well, here's this, this man of great faith. Religion's a topic that you know, can get dicey on national television. And, and they said, are you sure he's, the, he's, you know, you sure he's not going to want to pray before he goes on TV? And the guy working for Billy Graham said, oh, no, it's not that. But Mr. Graham's been praying since he got up this morning. He prayed during breakfast. He prayed on the way over here. And I'll be honest with you, he's going to be praying during the interview. Praying at all times. Praying in all circumstances. It's praying in the Spirit. It's understanding that prayer is more than just a mealtime tradition. It's a spiritual discipline that has to become hashtag basic for us.